Scott O'Neill is the CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, a global sports and entertainment company that includes some of the most iconic teams and brands in the world, including the NBA Philadelphia 76ers and the NHL New Jersey Devils. He's also the former president of Madison Square Garden Sports. Scott is known for his leadership and ability to establish culture that changes lives. He wrote a book that releases this week called Be Where Your Feet Are, a mantra he lives by and teaches everywhere he goes. In today's interview, Scott shares with me some of his theories on balance, being present, priorities, and making the most important connections in life. I could not put Scott's book down as soon as I started reading it, and this interview was way too short for me to cover everything I was dying to ask him. So I hope you'll not only enjoy this incredibly inspiring chat, but also buy his book that releases on June 1st, Be Where Your Feet Are. Today, I have with me Scott O'Neill, who is the CEO of the 76ers and has an incredible career background in uh, professional sports and in business. And I am so excited to talk to him about his brand new book, Be Where Your Feet Are, which is just about to come out right before Father's Day. And so, Scott, tell me a little bit about you for anyone who isn't familiar with your amazing life story. Sure. Well, I've uh, been married for 25 years to Lisa, former Lisa Reynolds, um, who grew up in Utah in her Cottonwood Heights home, where she grew up in right now. And I went to Brighton High School in BYU. And we have three amazing daughters, uh, Alexa, who's 21, Kira, who's 17, and Eliza, who's 14. I grew up on the East Coast in New York and um, grew up in an Irish Catholic family. Pretty strong faith. I went to Villanova University in Pennsylvania um, and then got my start in the sports business. And I've been there for the last 25 years. I had a, a quick stop in grad school at Harvard, um, but I've had pretty much my dream jobs um, one after the other. Um, Lisa is, um, she left work after she had our first child, but she was also in the sports business. I met her at the Nets. I was an assistant, pretty much fetching dry cleaning and grabbing lunch for people. <laughs> um, and she was an intern. So unfortunately, she had probably a more high profile job than I did at that time. And, um, and yeah, so I, I've kind of had this incredible run and ride um, on the career side. And my faith journey has been as adventurous. So I was baptized about five years ago. And it's uh, I hope to talk about it on this uh, on your podcast. But um, but even that was an incredible journey and, and very spiritually fulfilling. And uh, and then have been sealed to my family a year later. And have had this incredible spiritual high ever since. And so, uh, so a faithful member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I'm currently the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils, and we have a whole host of other businesses that we've started alongside. Before that, I was the president of Madison Square Garden. And as a New York kid, to be able to work in the world's most famous arena is pretty fun. And um, worked in for the NBA league office, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the, the Nets before that. And I failed in the startup in, in between. So I've had kind of an adventurous <laughs> run. Uh, but I definitely define myself, um, um, you know, as a dad and as a husband and as a faithful member of the church. And uh, my job is what I do, not who I am. And uh, I, I use that platform, hopefully, to do good, um, drive some change and leave the world a little bit better than I found it. And uh, I recently wrote a book. So that that's kind of me in a nutshell. Incredible. Yes. I So many of those things have been fascinating to read in your book. And I don't say this lightly. I, I don't say it very often, but I could not put this book down. Oh, thank you. And so it's, it's last night I was trying to get through even more of it and stayed up an hour later than I thought I would. And it's really so fun to read your journey and the things that you've learned. I love that you share those, but also give applicable takeaways. And it's just awesome. So I want to start out with the subject of balance, because I love how you address that in your book. And that's something that people ask me about. And I have the same answer that you have. I have no idea. And balance is something that is, yeah, it's kind of a buzzword that people love to talk about. So tell me your philosophy and what you've learned and what you've decided about balance. Sure. I certainly will. But first, I want to tell you how amazing you are and how inspiring your story is. And I love that you're entrepreneurial. I love that you are vulnerable and share things that people need to hear. And that's what I was trying to do in my book. Um, people probably look at you from the outside and say, oh, look at this wonderful family and everything's perfect. And boy, you're on Instagram. And, 
oh, what a wonderful thing. Oh, another Christmas photo. You're amazing. And you're beautiful. Oh, your husband's so handsome. Look at these gorgeous kids. Um, oh, she has this incredible job, this perfect podcast. And, you know, and she's got this incredible site. Look at all our followers. And, and all that stuff is true. Um, but you help the, the rest of us peel the onion back and recognize that there's a whole world out there. And while all our learnings and all our growth happens when we stumble and fall and trip, and, and that's where our learning happens and that's where we grow and, and you help us get there. And I think that is so inspiring. And I'm so, I know I don't know you, but I love you and I love your family. And, um, and I think what you're doing is really similar to what I'm trying to do, which is give people a little peek behind the curtain of the messiness that we call life. And right. it's okay. And, and, um, and you make it okay. And it's well, awesome. Thank you for all of that. I, that really means a lot. And it will mean a lot to my husband, Neil, too. So thank you. Good, so, good, good. Okay, on balance. Okay, balance. Let's get back to it. I yes. got you. Um, I, uh, I'll get to the question. Okay, so I, I don't believe in balance. I, um, you know, I've been working quite a long time. And the one thing I've learned is that however you define success, and I, I'm always careful to, to define success for others because um, success might be that you raise three amazing daughters. Success might be that you know, you have made a, an impact in your community. Success might be that you're helping your neighborhood stay safe and stay clean and stay a place where you want to be. Success might be that you have some career aspirations or financial aspirations or health aspirations, or that you help your mom and dad through a tough time, or that you guide your children and keep her on the rails when she's trying to figure it all out in middle school. Um, and so, so I, I would just say that, that success um, you, you have to figure out what that means to you. And, and it's all different for all of us. Um, but I haven't met a successful person, no matter how they define it, that doesn't have to work unreasonably hard. And, um, and you've talked on, on several of your other podcasts about your quarterly talk with Neil about your, your burnout. Mm -hmm. um, and that's real. Like it's real. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, because you are really driven and you um, have a, a growing company and and you're, you're in the content business, so you need more is more. Um, yes. and, and you have to build a business on top of that, and you have to manage people, and you're the star of your own show. And so, so you have a lot of, of pressures. And so um, I understand what that feels like, um, not quite the way you do, but I know I have to work unreasonably hard to do what I want to do. Okay, so that's right. the first thing. And so the, the notion of coming home at 5 o'clock after starting work at 9 and tucking myself neatly into a chair at the dinner table is a wonderful thought. I mean, I work 150 nights a year, you know, That's so a lot. I'm home at 11 o'clock at night. So, you know, for me, I've been pressed to figure out like, okay, how is this going to work? You know, mm -hmm. and, and life is about trade-offs. I will tell you because there is a limited amount of time and you can accomplish. I truly believe you can accomplish anything you want to accomplish in the world. Um, so long as you're willing to understand what the trade-offs are. And, um, and I wasn't willing to trade off my family, my marriage for sure, my kids for sure. And I wasn't willing to trade off um, what I wanted to accomplish in my career because I think it's a platform for good. Um, and my faith is very important to me and what I do in the church. So something has to drop. And for me, I trade off a lot of the, the casual, like my friends drop off. Like if I see my friends, if you will, they're at, I see them at work, I see my games, I invite them to games. And, you know, I miss birthday parties and I miss some weddings and I miss bar mitzvahs and celebrations and I, I can't do all that stuff. Um, which, which I, I don't regret because I know it's a trade-off for other things I want to focus on. So my, my plea, my request, what I've learned is that you need to be where your feet are and you need to be present where you are because in my house, I know your children are a little younger than mine. Mine are 21, 17, 14. It's like our mornings are chaos. Okay. And so yeah. we think, of it, I don't know if you're a basketball fan, but we think of it as NCAA tournament, survive in advance. Like we want to get the kids dressed in the car and to school without a nuclear meltdown. Okay. And it's like a spilled bowl of cereal. Someone's got the other shirt on. Can't find my shoes. My backpack's too heavy, whatever it is of the current day, day's crisis, if you will. Yep. Um, we're just trying to get through the morning. So there's no, there's nothing wonderful. I mean, we listen to a little Justin Sua uh, on the on the way to, if you haven't listened to him, he's wonderful. Yeah, a little, he's awesome. Yeah, a little two-minute uh, pick-me-up on the way to school. Uh, we say a, a prayer um, as we pull into the school parking lot. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's we have minutes of maybe a moment of, of peace and real connections. And then they're at school, and then they have sports. They play basketball, and they cheerlead, and 
you know, you know, one has a boyfriend, unfortunately. And then, you know, and then you're doing homework. We can talk about that some other time when your kids get older. And, and then, um, and I'm at work and sometimes I'm at games. And so when I get home, it's like, how much time do I have with them? Like real time. Right. Okay. 45 minutes. So the question you have to ask yourself when you get home is what are you going to do with those 45 minutes? I mean, you can sit and watch another office rerun because I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally exhausted. And so are they. It's hard to be a teenager now. And, and, um, and so I've got to figure out what that time looks like. And so for me, it's not about balance. I mean, balance, I don't even know. I don't even know what that is. You know, I have a good friend, Laura O'Connor, and she always says like, you know, balance is like a seesaw and it's no fun being on a seesaw that, that's straight across. Um, sometimes I think it'd be kind of fun to get home at five and have a normal life. Um, but even then, I still think you only have 45 minutes with those kids. And so, mm-hmm. and your, and your wife, my wife, it's like, how am I spending my time? Like, what am I going to do? And so I, I have a couple of crazy sayings, not crazy, but, um, you know, kind of head up, phone down. And so, um, and COVID has been such a blessing. And I know people have, have lost their lives and lost loved ones. And I know people have suffered and I know business has been really tough. Um, so, so I, I don't mean to, to just hop over those. However, the, the actual time we've had together in a house has been what a blessing. I mean, the family dinner is wonderful. <laughs> I haven't experienced that in 25 years and now I'm home. Um, and it, it has been quite a blessing uh, to actually take that time and carve it out and figure out how you get your teenager from how was school good? How are uh-huh. you doing fine to let's talk about life. Let's talk about social justice. Let's talk about politics and the role it plays. Let's talk about um, the impact you can have on the world and have real discussions, which by the way, took time for us to get to that point where we can talk right. about uh, things that are very comfortable and things that are, uncom- are very uncomfortable. Uh, but, but for me being present at work on this podcast, I mean, how could you do this? Your, how could you do your podcast if you were focused on something else? You know, you mentioned locking the doors because you have kids running all over the mm-hmm. place. I, I understand that drill. Um, <laughs> and, and imagine if you were trying to help with homework while you're doing this podcast, it can't work. Right. But the brain doesn't multitask, even right. though we're in a world where it demands it. You know, you're driving, you're texting, which by the way, please don't do. Hopefully not. Um, yeah. Um, but but uh, you're watching TV. Even in my job, we talk about we're creating what we call the second screen and third screen experience. So that when you're watching at home, we're trying to create content for you on two other screens. <laughs> Think about the notion of that. It's true. Um, it is. I, I rarely watch watch something without work in front of me at night because that's kind of my drill after I get the kids to bed and I usually turn something on and I'm partially watching it and partially getting stuff done. And it's a rare treat to say, this is a show that I'm going to completely invest in. And, you know, I usually do that like on Sunday night, we pick something that my husband and I are, you know, we're going to actually watch this because I don't work on Sundays. Yeah. And and, and, and let's talk about like putting kids to bed. Okay. Because it's, talk about chaos, the kids are right. So can you imagine if you were, you, you decide to be where your feet are every night and be with them, how different that experience might be? Cause me, I'm sometimes I'm like, just get in bed. Like yes. enough, <laughs> just go to bed. Just lay, I'm not tired. I don't care. Lay in your bed, read something. Um, and instead, like my daughter taught me something so special. And I, I have this uh, one daughter who is, who's introverted. Her name's Eliza. And I had, I'm very extroverted. My wife's introverted. Um, but I had never, I had, I had to learn how to connect with her. My other two, just like right away, we were thick as thieves. And um, my daughter, I read two books on introverts. Um, it actually helped me at work too, because I was managing my company for type A's like I am. And, and that's not effective. So I was driving out some really talented, creative, smart, incredible people, um, just without understanding the, the consequence of that. Um, but, but my daughter, Eliza has this incredible bedtime routine. So she's got a little OCD in her too. She's a fascinating gal, ridiculously bright, um, really funny, um, but different, like really, really different. And so she has this bedtime routine where she writes down 14 things she's grateful for every night. Wow. How old is she? She's 14. So three years. So started when she was 11 and, uh, somebody mentioned it in her Sunday school class. One of her teachers in Sunday school said, you should do this. She's been doing it for three years. Hasn't missed a night. Okay. Has never repeated um, anything she's been grateful for. Okay. Which is pretty cool. And she has this other thing, which is a, she has a happy thoughts clicker, which I think is the cutest thing of all time. Mm -hmm. And if she's listening to this, she'll be not happy that I'm talking about it. 
Um, <laughs> but I think it's adorable at 14 because, you know, 14, that's, that's, a, that's a funky age when you get to middle school. And yes. so if you go by her room at night here, click, 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 click. And it's, and what I love about it is she is not a person who wakes up happy. I am, by the way. And her sister, her middle sister, Kira, wakes up happy. She's like, hi, everyone. You know, it's the sunshine. And yes. That's not Eliza. Um, and I think she understands herself. Um, she's very intuitive and I, and very sensitive. And I think she understands that that, that is what will help her get there. And that she needs that more. She needs to understand what gratitude is. She needs to understand what happy thoughts are because that is not how she, you know, walks into the world. And I thought, man, now that is a young woman who is present when she's going through this routine and she reads her scriptures. She has a, I mean, her bedtime routine is 30 minutes long. I mean, talk about, and, and she doesn't like to sleep. It's like her dad. So she doesn't get a lot of sleep. And so it'll be 12 o'clock. I'm like, let's get going, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but boy, oh boy, what, what a purity. And instead my instinct at night is just get in bed. Yes. And, like, am I missing it? You know, or when they were younger, it's like some of my greatest memories when I actually like curled up next to them and read them a book, you know, and it was a book and I would always make up stories that I, I'm, I'm notorious for the stories I would make up in and around. I'd never read the actual <laughs> words of the book. Um, but I just, I, I, you know, and other times did I, did I do it? What was I running towards? Right. Like a show to veg out to, you know, like, Hey, if I had a real meaningful conversation with Lisa, then good for me. I should, I should check out and do it, you know? Um, but I think we've got to spend some more time, um, kind of meeting people where they are and being present and enjoying the actual moments we have and, and stop scrambling. I love that advice. I, and I love too, what you've talked about in your book with having a phone out of reach, um, rule, right. You can't have it within arm's reach. Yeah. In your that's that's a rule in your conference room, right? Yeah, at conference room we put it, we have a phone table where you have to okay. check your phone in. And can you imagine, you know, because I work with you know the average age, I have a big workforce, about two thousand, and about five hundred full time, and the average age is somewhere around twenty six. And so they look at me like the new when they come in when they're new, they look at me like I may have lost my mind. Like, <laughs> How am I going to take notes? I'm like, grab a pen. Yes. But it's not about the, it's not about the phone. It's not about notes. It's about before the meeting and after the meeting, because I just want you to look to your right and look to your left and connect and think about what COVID exposed us. Like it helped us get off the treadmill and look around and connect because we've, we've been isolated and, and we need human connection. And yet we sit before a conference with our peers, our friends at work. And we're this way. So true. Instead of saying, Hey, how was your daughter's soccer game this weekend? Hey, how are you doing? Didn't you have a wedding this weekend? Hey, what was your vacation you just took? Tell me about it. And those, those little those little connects is what create culture in an organization. And by the way, they do in your family too. So I'm sure, you know, um, you know, when the when my ladies have gotten a little older, we we pulled phones from the dinner table, which you're like, well, of course you did. You know, you have to be vigilant and diligent. Um, and the phones don't stay in our no electronics in our, in their bedrooms. Um, so we have my, my wife's pretty 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 tough, <laughs> a lot tougher than I am about that kind of thing. But I like it. I like the notion of can you just sleep? Right. You wake up in the middle of the night. What's the first thing you do? Look at your phone. Why? It's three in the morning. I know. I need. What to, are you looking for? I need to live by that rule too. I've thought. I literally was thinking about it a couple nights ago. Why don't I have my phone sleep in the kitchen instead of next yes. to my bed? Yeah, I think that would be great. I mean, yeah. if you, other than if you're looking for a, a great deal on Mint Arrow, you know, I mean, that's the only reason <laughs> no. you might go to your phone late at night. No, I do really. I, I'll tell you the one thing is I love to read my scriptures on my phone because that's where all my notes are and all my stuff. But I could certainly pull out my old, you know, seminary set of scriptures and just, like you said, pull out a pen, take your notes and maybe right. read the actual real pages instead of where right. my phone is so, with so all my notes. So we do scriptures. I, I always do the audio and my wife says it doesn't count. Oh, <laughs> if it doesn't count, I'm in trouble. Cause that's, I listen to the scriptures a lot too. Uh, that's pretty funny. So, okay. You mentioned the word isolation and I found that also very interesting in your book. That's something that we talk about a lot in recovery from addiction, because that's the first thing an addict wants to do is isolate when things get hard. And so I'd love for you to share kind of what you've learned about isolation and what your philosophy is with that. 
Sure. So I'll talk a little bit around isolation and more around health and wellness because I think yeah. they're, they're, they're close cousins or brother, sister. Yes. Um, so I, I am, I'm, I think that our next pandemic or epidemic is uh, kind of a mental health issue that we're facing. And, um, and we've seen it pop up quite a bit with, with teens and middle schoolers. Um, but I, I've, I've seen it at work um, with my 20 somethings at, at an alarming level. And so, so we have a, a formula um, that we engage in. And um, one is do something for your mind, something for your body, and something for your soul every day. And so the, the mind is easy. It's listening to a podcast or a TED Talk. Um, it's learning something outside of your core job. Um, and everyone in my business reads Sports Business Journal and Sportico and all these incredible kind of focused front office sports, anything that's focused on our business, everybody's consuming. Just step outside there and learn something else. I want you, it'll help, it'll make you more creative. Um, it'll add some value to work. It'll make you more round, well-rounded um, and it will stimulate your brain, which I think is important. Um, and the second thing is your body. The body's the easiest one. Um, it's, it's the simplest, but not easy, I guess. So it's just, you have to commit. Um, and and that's about getting your heart, your heart rate up 20 minutes. Um, and I, I'm, I'm still a pickup hoop basketball player, even at 51 years old. So during COVID, uh, that was not, um, something that was going to happen where, where we live. Right. So we, we bought a Peloton and I turned into one of those Peloton lunatics. So for 45 minutes in the morning, I sweat until I can like wring my shirt out. And it, <laughs> it, it's amazing. And I, I have escapism. My escapism is a movie. So I don't even think about it. I don't even watch the incredible instructors. I literally turn the sound down and watch a movie and 45 minutes. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Um, and, and for me, and, and it doesn't have to be a Peloton. It can be whatever. It could be a walk. It could be something. Um, and then for your soul is a little more complicated to talk about at work. And, and, you know, um, at work, while I would love for everyone to read scriptures and, and say their prayers, um, that's not for everyone and that's okay. Right. Um, but we need to find stillness every day. We really do. We, we need to find a way, um, to get ourselves and our brains to heal during the day. And, and that could be meditation is a wonderful way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be sitting outside and listening to the birds chirp probably some runners might find some stillness. You know, if you're a real runner, I'm not, um, but you've got to find that. And then the fourth piece is sleep. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I mentioned before, I'm not a great sleeper. I don't, I don't do that really well, but I'm trying to incorporate meditation into my sleep, uh, which has it's been helpful since, but, um, I, you know, when I was growing, you know, my career was, uh, nineties and two thousands and it was all about like, go, go, go. It wasn't about getting a good night's sleep. Like executives are like, you don't need sleep. You need four or five hours. And I, I, I don't, I don't think that's the case. At least that's what science will tell you like eight or nine. Right. And, um, and cause your body needs to heal and your brain needs to rest and it's the only way to do it. And then the last piece I think is just about gratitude. And I talked a little bit about my daughter, but they're simple, just on your, your notes, just write down three things a day that you're grateful for. And it'll have you looking for other, other things. And I think that changes your mindset. So that's my my five point plan to, to kind of health and wellness. Okay. And I, I think it's, it's something that if we focus on and put some process around, I think the world gets better in terms of connection. I will say that I, I talk about this a lot at work. It's like, you have to take care of yourself first. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're a mom, it's a lot harder. Um, and when you're a dad, it's a little less harder, but still hard. Um, but you've got to take care of the person in the mirror first, because if you do, then you have an opportunity to take care of your family. And if you take care of your family, then you have an opportunity to be extraordinary at whatever kind of your success goals look like at work or community or church or whatever that looks like. And, and it's not, it's, it's linear. Like I truly believe that's, that part is linear. Um, unfortunately you can fake it for a while and you can go do be extraordinary at work and, and you cannot take care of yourself. And, and that happens to a lot of moms, especially with young kids when they're, when it, when it gets crazy, because you have to give of yourself. Yep. Um, but, but I will tell you, you've got to build in that time so that you are healthy. And, and that's a time where you might give up sleep because you have to, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, and as the kids get older, they stay up later and later and later and later and later, you know, <laughs> and it gets hard. And then they're up, you know, at, at our case, 530 AM for seminary in the morning. So it, yeah. it, it's, it's a long, long day, but take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of work. Um, and, and once you do that, you know, then you can connect with people. It's really interesting I, the way I think it works um, because I, I think there are all these triggers that if we're truly paying attention and interested, and I, I have a lot of people in my life who are interesting, 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm, I'm more fascinated by those who are interested. And the interested people recognize that when your friend um, has a, a voicemail box that's full and you might want to connect or you text your friend you haven't heard from her in a week or, you know, it's strange. The body language on the Zoom is not great. And are you interested enough to follow up and create a connection to those who need it? Um, have you ever had a prompting? I have them all the time. Um, and it's like someone pops into my head. Yep. And, and you have a decision to make at that point. Are you going to act on it or not? And you can believe spiritually that that's Heavenly Father kind of directing this home, which I truly believe. Or you can believe, hey, maybe that's the karmic world or maybe that's something cosmic kind of bringing you to somebody. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, but I choose to act and send a note. And a note sends something like this. Hey, uh, just thinking about you today. Checking in. How you doing? We'd love to connect if you have a few minutes today. No biggie, just checking in and say hello. Miss you. And I, I wonder if we could do that a little bit more, how that might impact and change the world. I, I think it would. I, so um, true. Yeah. I, I think we have this opportunity to, to create an environment and a world that's different from the one we live in today. Yeah, I had that experience just yesterday. Yesterday morning, I had, as I always do, a big long list of things to do for the day. And someone popped into my mind in the morning right after I dropped my kids off from school and I called this person and they, uh, over the course of the next hour, you know, just catching up. And once we got through kind of the superficial stuff, told me that I was the first person that they felt comfortable confiding in that they'd had their first panic attack a couple of days before that. And I just felt after I hung up the phone, I felt like that was no coincidence that that person popped into my mind. Oh, I love that story. I, I have this great, great, um, fun thing I do is I set my photos. Actually, I don't know how to set it. My daughter did it. But I set my photos on my devices that five new photos pop up every day randomly. And I take the photos and forward them to who's ever in them. And so it's, oh, that's cool. So, yeah. And so it's a random. I have 55,000 some other photos. So <laughs> it can come up from someone from high school to college to work to a ton with my family. So our family group chat is a lot of photos of us from things we've done over the last 20 years. Um, and it's just a wonderful way to force a connect and just that little extra, it takes me about 15 seconds. And so I wonder if we can put some processes in place for us, like the photos or like, Hey, you just know you get a prompting, you do it. Like that is what you're going to do. You're going to reach out. What a great story. Um, and by the way, panic attacks, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I read Bob Iger's book, which is one of my all-time favorite books. Um, and his recent book, I think it's called The Ride of a Lifetime. And he was the former chairman and CEO of Disney. And um, he talks about having a panic attack. And I thought, hmm, this guy? Like, again, it goes back to like, we're in this Instagram world. It's like, everything is not perfect. Right. This is one of the top executives in the history of the world. Okay? And he's having a panic attack. To, to see because it's going into a boardroom to see if he's going to be named CEO of the company. And I thought, huh, what a, what a refreshing voice to hear. Yeah. That it's, it's no respecter of persons it happens to everyone. Mental health. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to read to you one of my favorite parts so far of your book and I'm about halfway through and I'm absolutely awesome. loving it, but you and I have a mutual friend, Sean Nelson. I love Sean. I love and, him. Are you going to talk about his mantra? Yes. And How I, great is he? I read this and thought, first of all, you must go deep with people for it because I've spent time with Sean more than once and have never heard of this mantra. I've even had him on my podcast. And when I read this, I just felt like, wow, this is remarkable. So I'm going to read it. And then I want to talk about the mantra and how you train people to do the leadership constitution, but first I want to read Sean's. So he says, I am heavenly father, son, and priesthood leader. I am not just faithful, but valiant. I will shine today. I am excited to be with my kids every moment I can and look forward to opportunities to mentor and teach them and to be helpful to my wife, Tiffany. I never dodge. 
When I don't feel tip top, then I ponder this mantra or work out without hesitation. I don't drink or gamble or swear or look at women. I don't have a middle-aged gut because I don't eat very much. I exhibit self-control. I will not just be pleasantly remembered, but I positively impact everyone I can. I make people feel great about themselves. I deprecate myself. I seek to do service. I exude love and enthusiasm to all. I smile a lot. Do you love this? I mean, so remarkable. Wait, I have to tell you the funniest story. So Michelle Bender is my, she helped me write the book. I, I, I had a book and as the, the publisher and my agent says, we need to get you a writer. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, which is true. And Michelle was amazing and has written a, a, a several books. And, um, and she gets this part and she's like, she says, you've got to be kidding me. And she's a classic New Yorker. And I said, no, this guy is the real deal. And yes. I love this. And she's like, I know it's just not, it's not credible. I was like, no, you don't know. It's actually really credible. And yes. she said, it's just too far. It's too much. And I said, I said, I don't know. I, I love the thought of putting out into the world goodness. And, I, and I, I love the notion of the way that people, I think, misunderstand the way the brain works. And so what we understand, what we're taught is that, you know, we think something, so therefore we say something. It's actually like you can manipulate your conscious and subconscious by speaking. And um, Jake Reynolds, who's the president of the devils and a faithful member of the church and my brother-in-law and a wonderful, wonderful soul says things like speak it into existence because I'm, mm. I'm, I'm known for setting unreasonably high goals. Okay. At work. And he said, just speak it to existence. Here we go again. And I think he means it as a compliment, but I don't really care because I do. And I think that you can train yourself to do good things and be better and be good and set some aspiration, aspirational levels for yourself, like Sean does there. And I, I think Sean would tell you, like, if you say, Sean, are you perfect in this? Said, of course he would not. say no. Yeah. No, of course, because no one's perfect. Well, <laughs> there was one. Um, but um, but for, for the rest of us, the, the the those of us that are kind of struggling to figure it out, boy, man, what a wonderful thing to read. And it doesn't have to be Sean's. Like you have to figure out what yours is. Like, what is, what is the version of your best self look like? Write it down. Like take the time to do it. Like actually write it and stick it on your mirror and read it out loud. And yeah, you'll feel completely goofy doing it in the morning, reading something out loud. Somebody will walk in, your wife will walk in. What are you doing? You know, while you're brushing your teeth. Um, But I, I think it's, I think it's, I was so inspired by him, his story and, um, and his mantra. And so I, I'm, I'm glad you pointed it out. It's one of my favorites too. I love that you included it. So teach us about the leadership constitution. All right. So I was in Washington, D.C. Um, one of my brothers, Michael, runs a, a healthcare tech company. Actually, a really cool story. He, he was on his deathbed going through chemo, through non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he swore that he was going to make the patient experience better. If he survived, he was at Georgetown, got this JD MBA, and he did survive. And so he built this um, interactive um, patient care company, which is just setting the world on fire. It's pretty awesome. But anyway, he's a world-class executive, incredible dad, incredible husband. He's just a wonderful, wonderful soul. And I was was in his office and he was making me wait because anytime our teams play in DC, I would try to go so I can I could hang with him and his family. And um, and I see behind his, his desk this thing is posted on the wall. So I went and read it. And um, and it's called the Leadership Constitution. And um, and so when he came in, I was asking him all these questions. He's like, You need to talk to Rich Hill, Gabriel Consultant, who's in Chicago. He's like, He's an exec coach. He works with my whole senior team. You should do it and have your team do it, which I did. So the leadership constitution at, like, forces you to ask, answer two questions. You have to answer, I declare that I am, mm-hmm. dot, 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 and you can count on me to be, dot, dot, dot. Now, this is not what you aspire to be, like we talked about with the mantra. This is actually who you are at the core when you're your best self. So I have mine here. Should I read it? Yes. Yes. I would love it. it. Okay. I'm going to read it. Okay. I declare that I am a passionate and authentic leader of leaders who feels a gravitational pull towards talent and character. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I love people and being part of a team. I get energy from helping others and would give the shirt off my back to a stranger and anything, anytime to a friend. I am a family first, high integrity, 
and surprisingly sensitive change agent who is confident, caring, and intellectually curious. This fuels a competitive drive that at times feels like a chip on my shoulder. So that's my declarative statement. So that is anyone who knows me would say like, okay, that's me. Now, I wrote it. I edited it. I sent it to three people who know me best in the world. Mm-hmm. And they gave me some feedback. Some wasn't very nice to hear, but it was great. <laughs> because, um, But it was wonderful as I kept refining it. And then you can count on me. Maybe I'll, I'll bring a, a couple of them because um, it's, it's a little long. But I said, you can count on me to bring positive energy into my space. Exude urgency and push you, challenge you, nudge you, and raise the bar beyond your expectations. And sometimes what you think is reasonable. You can count on me to laugh with you, cry with you, love you, even when you won't laugh, haven't cried, and don't feel loved. You can count on me to root for you today, every day, and always share the most personal thoughts, emotions, stories, highs and lows, because I'm okay with it and who I am. Enjoy the roller coaster of life, whether we're going forwards, backwards, and upside down. Drive hard to reach the summit and then quickly start on another mountain and share wins and take hits for losses. And I will tell you, that's my whole thing. I was only going to read a couple, but that's what you can count on me to be. And what I, for me, um, when I am my best self, that's who I am. When I am out of sorts or feeling off or come home and snap at my wife or, or do something to my kids I shouldn't do or say, um, or have a, a kind of go sideways at work over a deal. If I come back and read this, it's typically because I'm not living who I am. It's such a great guidepost for, for life and to get you back and centered. And I will tell you that, um, again, when I'm at my, when I'm my best self, which I am not always, um, which I'll tell you a funny story about soon. Um, when, I'm, when I'm my best self, this is who I am at home. This is who I am at work. This is who I am at church. This is who I am when I'm in the community. This is who I am when I'm with neighbors. Like, this is me. Um, and um, I, I, I read this um, review of, this, of my book. Um, on Goodreads. I don't know if you've ever been on Goodreads. I, I'd never yes. heard of it before, but um, my publicist was like, you need to go on there and interact with people that are writing about your book. And this woman said, she rated me a one out of five. And she said, um, does it, is this guy some kind of boy scout? And I, I literally <laughs> thought it was so funny. And I, and so I, I wrote something funny back, you know, I've never been accused of being a boy scout before, but thank you. You know, I, I took the, the opposite, but I thought, man, I, I hope that, um, when you, when you read this or you listen to this, that it's not uh, me saying, hey, you know, look at me. I'm amazing. The, the book is very different. It, the book is not a victory lap. The book is like a collection of stories where I tripped and fell down. Mm-hmm. And, and I learned something from everyone and, and everything worked out okay. I just had this notion that I think we can be better and do better and get better. And, and it starts with me. Like I, I, I have a long way to my journey is long. You know, I'm 51 years old. I hope to make it another 50, you know, so I'm halfway home and I, I want to make sure that, that I just keep growing and learning. And this is a way to keep me centered. And I think everybody should have that. And whether you write a mantra or whether you write a leadership constitution or whether you have your own version of whatever that looks like, that aspirational, best self, real, honest, authentic look in the mirror about who you want to be when you're your best. Um, and you are going through that and reading it and posting it and being okay with it, you know, being okay with who you are and loving yourself for who you are. Um, I think that that's a, by the way, that's a lost art on moms as well. (laughs) That's very true. And I, that was one thing I thought of when I read through, uh, Sean's, what did he call it? His mantra morning mantra. And then when I read your leadership constitution, I thought I need to do this as a mom and I need to do this as, well, actually I would love your advice. Do you separate that? And, or do you just bring all of it together into one, you know, as a work leader and as a mom, you know, family leader, it's all one person. Constitution. You know, when I'm showing up as my best self, I am the same exact person. Like you cannot tell the difference. And, um, and I, so I, I like we have rules in our house. Um, mm-hmm. I had rules growing up that I, we didn't have many rules when I was growing up. I, my folks were um, both were entrepreneurs and both had businesses. And, and so we had three rules growing up. One was don't hurt each other. Don't hurt your mother and no girls in the bedroom. Those were our three <laughs> rules. <laughs> no curfew. You know, it was four boys and uh, the youngest was a, 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 my sister, um, all within six, five kids in six years. So it was, it was a bit chaotic. Um, but I kind of like the notion of, of having guideposts, um, like, you know, we have in our house, um, 
which is our root for each other, um, respect and grace and working reasonably hard. And, and our, and, and, um, we put down more rules now because I think today's environment actually needs more rules than we yes. had back when I was growing yes. up. Um, but I, I, I love the notion of, you know, finding your authentic self. And I, I really do. And, and, and I hope that, um, you could have one that works and fits and yours, yours would be fascinating. I would, I would love to, I to need see to work on, on that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I really want to talk for a minute about your conversion to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was just reading through that part of the book and telling my husband about it. I was like, this guy took the discussions behind his wife's back. <laughs> and we thought that was so fascinating and just fun to read about your story. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I hope I don't tear up. Um, I... Uh... You know, my wife and I met when we were really young um, and we got married um, at a young age by East Coast standards anyway. And um, and we we didn't have any money at the time. So, you know, our version of a prenup was more about like how we're going to work and how Mm -hmm. is this whole thing going to work? And um, and she had a much longer lens than I did. I was really focused on like, I don't want to have to move to Utah. You know, I, I don't want to be pushed to that ever. And I know you're from there and I, and I love your family. Um, and they're wonderful source of strength for me and for you. Um, but I, I need to go where I'm going to work and I, I don't have a lot of flexibility in, in my career. Um, and hers was about, that's great. I'll sign up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want the children raised in the church. And I was like, okay. And I said, I'll be supportive. I'll come to church with you. And, and I did. And I, um, you know, I'm, I'm big on like kind of, mean what you say and say what you mean and living your commitments. Yeah. And so for, for 20 years, I went to church with her, you know, for the first probably like 10 years, I would go to a sacrament meeting and then go to a mass because I was raised Catholic, um, have strong faith. And, um, and then after that, I, I kind of abandoned that. Um, I never went to the second, the second or third hour. I know we only have two hours now, but I never, I never, literally never, I, I had never stayed for a second or third hour. Uh, I would go home. But and, I want to um, pause on how, how, just that's that's really remarkable that you would go to you would do like a double header of first our church and then you're and then you're going to mass too yes that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. yeah. oh for 10 years it was cool and then i somehow uh, faded off into the sunset you know and and i when you're not a member of the church um you're definitely on the outside looking in um and i have all these views on on how the church can can and should be um, 70 million and then 700 million versus 16 million, but, but we can talk about those some other time. Um, but I, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a, a hair, it's a bit insular, you know, the church, when you come in from the outside and when you're not a member, it, it is hard because the language, there, there's a language that, that we outsiders don't understand. Um, and if you're literally just checking in for, for sacrament meeting and then bouncing, um, you, you definitely miss some of the connection. Um, and then there's the, the notion that, um, you know, you, you get buddied up to bring you to the church as opposed to budding up to love you. Um, and so, so I, I was brought in like into the fold. I mean, we, we were in wards and branches that needed help. Mm-hmm. Um, we oftentimes we li- we're living in cities. So, um, when you live in the city, sometimes the, the wards don't have the resources that suburban wards would have. And, um, you know, our, our my first church experience was um, my wife took me to the um, Spanish-speaking branch in Jersey City, New Jersey. With Jersey City now is like this bustling, cool place to live. Um, at that point, it was not a cool, bustling place to live, mm-hmm. and neither of us speak Spanish. Um, and I, I like, I made so many jokes. And this was early on; we were dating two months. I was madly in love with her from the first day I met her. Um, and so, two months in, I'm like, there has to be an English-speaking church somewhere. You know, yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, so, um, uh, and I got a bunch of assignments. I mean, I remember we were in this West Philly branch, which is a, a tough part of town. They would lock your cars in when you, when you, um, pulled into the driveway at the branch building and the, um, the branch president was, uh, 23 years old and a medical school student. And he came to me, he's like, Scott, uh, can you teach Sunday school? And I'm like, you know, president, like I, I'll do anything for you. Like I am not a member of the church. He's like, I need help. <laughs> it's like one of those things. So I was yeah. teaching, uh, which was really cute. Um, and I got called, you know, you don't get a calling, but you get assigned by a Boy Scout leader. I actually had a state calling when I lived in Connecticut. It was kind of funny. Wow. Um, or assignment. Um, yeah. State Young Men's. 
So, um, so yeah, so I, and I was always, you know, I had always high profile jobs in sports. So I kind of connected with, with, uh, the youth quite a bit. And, um, and then just with my job, I'd be around um, some of the, the leaders in the church. It was kind of fun. So, so then, um, I don't know. I was, I like got close like five or six times and, and, and by close, I mean, close to saying, okay, this is a church I want to be a member of forever. Right. And, and I understand the weight of it. Like I, I, I understood like how difficult it was for my daughters. Like I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in tune. Like I, I know that it was harder for them. I know it was harder for my wife. I know that, you know, her experience as, as she's a remarkable woman, um, that it was hard for her. And we never, like, we disagreed. Like she was not, she does not, she's not a nagging wife. Um, never has been, never will be. And I have friends that have nagging wives. Um, sorry guys. Um, and at least it's not that like we, we love each other and respect each other and we push each other and, and we want to be the best we can be together as a couple. And we, we, we have had tough days and tough months and tough years. Um, but generally we have a vision of who we want to be as a couple and a family and what that looks like. And we support each other to try to get there. And when one of us is down, the other one's trying to drag her, drag him or her up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so she was not like, go, you know, let's go. It's time. Yeah. Um, her, her focus wholly was, and I only know this because she, we speak, we speak a lot together. We're actually speaking, um, tomorrow to like this group of H E F Y leaders. Um, which oh, is neat. awesome. Yeah. 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 We're going, I'm going to Mozambique this summer with my daughter, Kara. Oh, so um, cool. Yeah. Pretty neat. So, um, so anyway, so I had been there a couple of times, like knocking on the door, like emotionally, I was like, okay, I'm doing it. And then, you know, what, what some members of the church would say was like, yeah, but then, um, you know, the adversary came and knocked you out. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's what it is or not, but I mean, I remember this one story and I'm like, I'm there, I'm ready to go. And, and I'm in church. It's fast and testimony meeting. And, um, Oh, a woman gets up. I don't want to say who it is. And, and she had a people anyway, she got up and she made a joke about the Pope and did it in an Italian accent. And, and I literally was like, I literally got up and walked out and went home. And I never said anything um, to Lisa or the girls. She's like, what happened? I was like, that just doesn't work for me, you know? Yeah. And what you learn when you get a little older and a little more mature is you understand that the gospel is so pure mm-hmm. and the Book of Mormon is so true. And Joseph Smith is 100% a prophet and that I believe we have a, a living prophet. In, in the, my, the heart and depths of my soul. And by the way, I've known that for 15 years. And so like the truth was so evident to me. And I was struggling with some of the, some of the, the stuff that gets in the way of that. And, um, and it's not really fair. It wasn't fair to me. It wasn't fair to, to the gospel and it wasn't fair. Um, but I, I was stubborn and I was, I was letting some of the things, some of the traditions of the church, which have nothing to do with the gospel, Mm-hmm. or some of the people of the church it's a late church like things are going to go south i mean you know open mic night you know <laughs> like, this is what, this what happened yeah things go right you know um and um and so i i was finally ready to get out of my own way quite frankly and um and i had been on like a whirlwind my summers get a little hectic because lisa's out in utah with with my girls and and so I usually fly back and forth and we've got summer league in vegas and then i'm like usually do my la swing for music entertainment stuff and then you know, we had meetings in Miami, so I'm in all these fun sit, which sound like really fun, but I was like, this is just shallow and hollow. And, and I was just not feeling it. And I went home and, um, I just called my home teacher, um, president Maxwell, who's, uh, in a state presidency, Clark Maxwell's most spiritual giant. And I was like, Hey, can we grab dinner tonight? And we went to dinner and, um, I was like, Hey, I'm ready to get back to us. He's like, you know, he started smiling. He's like, I was going to ask you if today was the day for you. And wow. I said, yeah, yeah, it was pretty, pretty special. And then I was like, look, how do we get this done quickly and quietly? And I said, I don't want this to be scuttlebutt. I don't want your wife talking to my wife. I don't want like the other wives to know, you know, I was like, I don't know how it works, but I know everybody knows everything in this church. And he's like, well, <laughs> so he's true. like, it's funny. It's like the way it works is the missionaries, you know, put names on the rolls and they, they go to the, the bishop gets a list of those names. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to appear on that. He's like, ah, I'll take care of that. Don't worry about it. And um, he's like, do you want sisters or elders? I said, I'd rather have elders. And he said, okay, they're Spanish elders. I was like, of course they're Spanish elders because my first experience was, was at a Spanish speaking branch. Um, and I thought it was funny. So they, they codenamed me Francisco Garcia. 
<laughs> That's <laughs> so, awesome. Uh, yeah. And, um, for mission, the four elders were like scared to death. Um, and the, the, my friend Clark Maxwell was like, guys, don't worry about it. Let's just focus on the process. Yeah. And so, you know, and they said they were like later on a year, a year later, they would say like, they're going to their mission president and they're saying, he would say, oh, so this Francisco Garcia is really progressing. And they're like, uh, yeah, he's progressing along nicely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so awkward. Um, but they were wonderful. And, and uh, Clark was working in DC at the time and shuttling back and forth. And, and uh, he would come up every night. And I just said like, let's go. I'll do whatever work I have to do. I just, I want this done a week. And, wow. um, and I, I did tell him like, he jokes about this now, but he's like, I'll never forget. You walk in, you're like, okay, elders, I want the 2.0 version. I've been doing a 1.0 version for 20 years. Like, let's go. We got some questions we have to answer. And, and he, and, and the, the elders were incredible. The missionaries were incredible. Um, and Clark was invaluable. And, um, and then my wife came home about a week later and I told her and it was, uh, pretty awesome. Um, and then, um, we waited a couple of days. Um, I had to like have the last discussion and then, um, and then we told my girls and, and then I, I, uh, I sent out like a, a bitmoji from the book of Mormon from the, the play. <laughs> so it was my face with a I believe sign and it sent to a bunch of me, a bunch of people to our, uh, to the baptism, which was a big party. It was about a four hour baptism and I wow. had 15 speakers and people came from all, cause we lived all over the Northeast. So people came right. from all over. It was so fun. And, um, and then the next year was just, I mean, if you can think about all the moments you've had, the most memorable moments you've had in your faith journey, I had them all in a year. So, you know, I'm here, I am, um, passing the sacrament and then the next week I'm blessing the sacrament and then I'm getting my um, patriarchal blessing. And I'm getting the Melchizedek priesthood and I'm, you know, going to the temple for the first time. And and then um, I'm getting sealed to my family. So it was just, just absolutely just amazing. And I, uh, just the, going through the temple for the, I miss the temple being open. Me too. But going, um, Sorry, going through the temple for the first time was just this incredible experience with the Cutlers and Blairs and Sibbets, like dear friends of ours who had such an impact on me. And um, it was incredible. I baptized my dad. It's crazy. And then, I mean, I had, I remember when we went to the temple with my daughters to, um, my dad had passed away and baptized my dad and we were doing confirmations and um, there was another family in there. I, I, we didn't know them. And, uh, you know, we had our hands on me and the other guy were confirmed. So on. And um, I, I just, the spirit was literally like so strong. Like it get like um, when you go in the celestial room and you feel like, you know, the incredible spirit and power. And, and, um, and I just kept the spirit just kept getting like, stronger stronger and it was like oh whoa and so i didn't say anything i was just kind of like you know we were going through our our patterns and you know all of a sudden it was literally like my whole body was practically shaking and um then we finished and we were walking out and i said to the guy i'm like hey uh what what who who was that last person and he said um that was my dad <laughs> Gonna be a great podcast. <laughs> um, so, um, and I just, I don't know. I just have so many incredible moments um, where I've been so blessed to feel the spirit, and um, it was such like a sweet um, moment where I just like feel the presence of Heavenly Father in my life, and I feel um, just blessed and grateful and and happy um my wife and i were at this event and we were speaking and someone said do you wish you got baptized earlier hmm. and, and i immediately said yes and she immediately said no really yeah yeah 
And um, I was like, really? Seriously? And we were speaking to a bunch of, um, like, it was like a young people's wards. or I don't know what they call them. Young, young single adults. Young single adults. Why yeah. I say And it was some, what, yeah, I say, why I say it then. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, I think the timing is meant to be the timing. And I was like, I know, but, you know, if it were 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, she's like, well, we wouldn't have this opportunity we have now. Um, we have, you know, this, you know, and we have this platform mostly through my work that we leverage like crazy to try to, you know, maybe make people a little more open to the gospel or maybe it's okay to talk about your faith if you're running a company. Um, and, and maybe people might explore or ask questions or, or feel more comfortable, or maybe some member who might be struggling might just say, you know, okay, I'm going to dig in. I'm going to, I'm going to fight the fight now. Um, so, uh, so I think she's right. Um, and I, I, I mean, you can't go back. You just kind of live forward. Right. Right. Living your mirror is wonderful for perspective and lessons, but it's not great to spend time back there. So I don't spend time back there, but I was surprised at her answer. She's, she's usually a lot smarter than I am. So <laughs> well, I really, I love and respect so much what you share about your faith. And this isn't, I want people to listen, who are listening to this to know, this isn't just because you know that I'm also a member of the same church and that we have, there might be some crossover with my audience because we've got probably about 40% of the people that listen to my podcast are members of the church. But you also do this in your book and in the recent article that I read from um, the Wall Street Journal. These, this is not just a one element. You know, when you're in the right spotlight, you share about this. You're sharing it everywhere, and I'm. I really, really respect and admire that. And I love in your book how you did exactly what I've I've tried to do, but you did it so eloquently um, that Clayton Christensen teaches in his book, The Power of Everyday Missionaries, where he says, "Use what you learn in church." in business and teach people the solutions that you're learning in church and business. And, and you talk about that in your book and it's just a really cool thing. I, I love that you. about your book. I, I had this Clay Christensen moment. So I'm going to tell you what it is. Now I didn't take yeah, this class from the school there. So I, I, didn't, I didn't know him. My friends knew him, but I, I didn't know him at all. And I was at this conference for SAP, which is um, a big company and they bring 75 CEOs together um, each year. And they, put like these incredible people like you know george bush bill clinton i mean it's it's you know biden obama i mean those are just like in the last four years i mean and and then and clay christensen they bring all these olympic athletes and it's just like an unbelievable experience to hear from some of the great leaders and they talk about real issues and you can ask questions it's pretty pretty incredible and clay, clay christensen was speaking i know since passed away sadly um and he talked about his mission and what he learned on his mission. And so here he is in front of 75 CEOs. Um, and I went down afterwards and I said, hey, I just want to let you know, I just converted to the church. And I, I love how you shared um, a message about your mission, being a missionary. And I think it's really powerful. I think this, this room is, it's an incredible room to do that in. And he said, every time I speak, and I was like, got it. I kind of, I like it. I, I it's, you know, as I, I've said a couple of times since we've been talking, it's like, I kind of try to be the same person. Um, yeah. I think the line between work and home and home and work and work and home and church and work and home and church and the community, it just gets getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And whether, you know, that's a blessing because of our kind of dependence on um, our phones, et cetera, um, or a curse, I, I guess, you know, time will tell. Um, and, and I think with COVID, it was completely evaporated. There was no line. And so, so we have this opportunity and chance and to talk about what matters to you and represent who you are and what you're about. And, and you know, people get a good view of your house, you know, these days. And, um, you know, that now it could be physical people walk in now, but, but before it was all Zooms. And, yeah. you know, make sure that your, your home is that safe place, but it also represents who you are as a, as a family and as a member of the church. And um, I think that, that's important. And so um, there's a fine line um, in this world um, between, um, you know, kind of 
being okay with who you are and talking about it. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and I just, I, I, I do my best to, to not be judgmental, but to love and, and everybody has their own journey. Like I had my own journey. And so I'm, I'm empathetic and sympathetic. Um, but I do know the power that this gospel has and the impact and influence it can have, or it has had on my life and can have on others. And, and the, the balance between that, um, um, let me, let me say it more directly. I want members of the church just to love everyone. That's where I want the emphasis to be. Um, shine your light. You know, if, if, um, if you've been around missionaries, you know, they have this bright light. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes members of the church, people stand out at work because they have a bright light. I want that bright light to shine well beyond, you know, if you serve a mission or not, just that you have that light. And, and that light will oftentimes open up opportunities to talk about what makes you so happy and what makes you so positive and, and what makes that light shine so brightly. Um, but to truly love others um, because they might need love and, um, and, and not to convert them um, because it's not us that convert anybody. Right. Right. We, right. We invite. That's our job. Our job is to invite. Um, our jo- job is in some way to inform. Um, but but really, our jobs are to love and invite. Um, and in many ways, we're an example, not a judgmental example. Like, I can't believe you went to Starbucks. That's not who we are. OK. <laughs> right. Um, or I can't believe your kids playing sports on Sunday. That's not who we are. You know, who we are. We are people who love others. That's what we're about. We're about being accepting and loving. And if, if you study the Savior, I'm sure you know a lot more than I do, but if you study the Savior's life, um, that's where he spent his time. Um, he didn't, you know, he, he, he was not worried about, um, he was spending time with a woman of the evening. You know, he was spending time with the lepers. He was spending time with the, the blind. He uh, destitute. And... Um, and, and, and with love, not, there wasn't a judgmental bone in Jesus's body, not one. And I, I wonder if that's something that we can learn from and, and take to heart and take into the world in a different way. I love that advice. That's something I'm always trying to work on. So oh, there's just so many things that I, I have like a list of other things that I wanted to talk about, but I knew it was going to be hard to get through all of them. Everybody that is listening to this is just going to need to read your book because that's where all the really, really good meat is. But I have one last question for you. And that is, if there's one message that you want the people listening to this podcast to remember, what do you want that one message to be? My one message is, there's a chapter called API, Assume Positive Intent. And um, it's about going through the world and going through your life and giving people the benefit of the doubt um, and also to clean the slate. Um, So if you've ever um, been sideways with your wife on a certain issue and she sends you a text and you start like you start getting mad before you read it, or if she calls you and you hit hit decline, or you have a boss who calls you and you immediately get frustrated, um, you are not assuming positive intent. You are not. Um, giving her or him the benefit of the doubt. And you are not kind of offering up a palms up, what we call kind of palms up is the opposite of crossing your fingers or crossing your arms because you know everything. Your palms up, you're open to listening, you're open to learning, and you're open to loving. And if I think if we focus on be, assuming positive intent with those in our lives, um, work, church, home, uh, I think life would be better. That's profound. I love that. Um, and I'm going to have to really try to apply that in my life too, because I I love where um, I think it's Jeffrey R. Holland who says, assume the good, doubt the bad. Yeah. Love that. that. So thank you so much for everything that you've shared here. Where can people find your book and, um, and anything else that you're doing to, I mean. Sure. All right. You can find me, follow me on. Uh, Twitter or LinkedIn at Scott O'Neill. Okay. <laughs> Buy this book just about anywhere. Um, and Amazon and Barnes & Noble are wonderful. But if you have the interest, I would love for you to consider buying the book in an indie bookstore. Um, small business is getting slaughtered. Yeah. And they, they need your help. Okay. And so I've made a conscious effort to do all kind of bulk sales through indie bookstores because I think they need a little lift. 
And so if you can cruise down to Main Street instead of Wall Street and buy the book um, at your local bookstore, I would love that too. So be where your feet are coming out June 1st. Thank you. I love it. Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you, Corinne. You're amazing. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.